chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 this morning. And uh, again, as we continue our study in the life of Christ, and particularly the Sermon on the Mount, and this morning's message is about the narrow way, or Christ's word regarding the two paths of life. The word that Jesus gives us here is like the counsel given in Jeremiah 21.8. The Lord told Jeremiah to tell the people, Now you shall say this to the people, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. That's the way the two roads end up, either on the way of life or the way of death. And Jesus' counsel about the two ways in life emphasizes the truth that there are two ways that you can take in life. Right and wrong, good and evil, the way of, to heaven, the way to hell, saints and sinners, godly and ungodly. Now the world would love you to believe that there are many ways when it comes to people's character. But there are only two ways and categories for the souls of men. And the truth is emphasized in this counsel by Jesus in verses 13 and 14 about the two, uh, the two ways are fearful, fearful truths. You need to take them seriously. That being true, it should raise the question of all of those who hear this message this morning. What way am I going? Where does it end? What path of life am I on? Because every breathing soul is on one road or the other. Later on, when we get to chapter 27, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we'll see this truth based on the two builders in Jesus' parable. So let's begin now in chapter 7, verse 13. And Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. So in Jesus' words about the two ways for men, he gave a command here. It's a command to walk in the right way. Now many times I hear people say when it comes to reading the Bible, oh, it's too hard to understand. Well, enter by the narrow gate does not seem that hard to understand. Again, it's Jesus' words about the two ways for men. He gave a command to walk in the right way. And again, it's not hard. It's not a hard command to understand. Plus, it applies to all human beings. In Jesus' command about which way to take in life, Jesus commanded us to walk in the right way of life. Because the narrow gate is the gate that opens to the right way of life. There's but one gate to the right way of life. And this instruction... To take the right way tells us some important truths about God's commands. It speaks about the nature of God's commands. First of all, it tells us about the nature of God's commands, and and as we know, there are many in Scripture. This isn't just one command that Jesus has given us. There are many commands that that we receive in the Scriptures. God's commands never counsel us to sin. God's commands never lead us astray. They never lead us in a bad way. God's commands also point out to us the way that's holy, the way that's righteous, the way that's uh, uh, true, and the way that's upright. 
And if you follow God's commands, you will never be found in the wrong or in evil. So, again, God's commands point us to the way of holy and righteous. Men's laws, on the other hand, are often corrupting, but the laws of God only purify. Secondly, the commands of God show us or uh, tell us about the concern in God's commands uh, that God's commands <clears throat> has always been our, uh, our best, uh, his best, in, our best interest is in his heart. So again, when we hear the commands of God, they tell us, they show us the concern in God's commands. And again, remember, our best interest is in the heart of God. And God's commands are always to our advantage if we follow them. The psalmist said in 1911, they, speaking of God's words, they or God's words are a great reward for those who obey them. They're a great reward. God's words are a great reward for those who obey them, as well as they're a great warning and will keep us out of a lot of trouble if we pay attention to them. Now, you might not see any evidence or benefit at first in God's commands. But you will be reaping the rewards all through eternity. God doesn't give us commands to make our life miserable, as the world would like to make us believe. You know, I remember saying, oh, man, you know, Christianity and the Bible, you, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't have any fun, and, and on and on it goes. That You know, you're, you're in bondage, you, you, you can't live, you, you have no life which is completely the opposite. God's commands reflect the concern and desire that he has for our eternal welfare. Also, God's word condemns the criticism of God's commands. God's commands criticize, show us the negativity, of, uh, or, or they criticize God's commands. The, or the, the, you know, when people uh, criticize God's word, God's commands show us, no, that's not right, Okay. God's word condemns the criticism of God's commands. Jesus' command to walk in the right way says, kind of as a side lesson, that to despise God's commandments, like a lot of people do, is to despise what's good for you. So it's really foolish for men to rebel against God's commands when his commands only tell us the right way to go and have our best interest at heart. And all the complaining and all the criticizing of God's commands is just foolish talk. All the attacks by the godless world on the commands of God only show how foolish the world is. But again, that should be no surprise to us. It shouldn't be a surprise to us that, that, that God's commands about walking the right way is a difficult command to obey. The difficulty of following the command that's seen here are found in the two words, narrow and strive. Narrow and strive. The word narrow means pent up. Narrow, difficult to be entered. And it's the Greek word that gives us the word stenography, which literally means narrow writing or little writing. The message in the word narrow here is that the right way is hard. No, enter by the narrow gate. The message in the word narrow here, it tells us that, the, again, the right way is a hard road to go. It's a hard road to walk. Why? Because he says the gate to the right way is narrow. It's restrictive. In Luke 13, 24, Jesus said, Many will seek to enter and will not be able. Think about it. 
the narrowness of the gate to the right path of life speaks about the narrowness of salvation. You see, salvation is narrowed down to coming through Jesus only. There's only one way of salvation. There are not many ways, again, as the world would like you to believe. We read in Acts 4.12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You know, the world hates this, this, this narrow idea that Jesus is the only way. You know, this is so hard for people to accept that Jesus is the only way to heaven because there, are, there were so many religious, other religious leaders. There's so many other religions and, and, and their ideas that, well, you know, they're, they're meant to do good and to be good. Well, good is not good enough. There was only one that was sinless, that was perfect, which makes the perfect and only, only sacrifice, and that was Jesus Christ. Remember when the, when the people would bring all their, their animals to the priest to be inspected before they were offered to God? The priest would expe- inspect them for flaws. If they had any disease or any defects, if they were deformed or there was anything wrong with them, they were rejected because the sacrifice that was brought to the altar had to be perfect. There's only one that's perfect, and that's Jesus Christ. So again, it doesn't matter how good religious leaders are or are good a religion is. If Jesus Christ is not the founder, if he's not the object of our worship and our faith, it is no good. Plain and simple, whether, you know, whether people like that or not, it's God's word, it's God's truth. God said it, not me. And that's where the, that's where the problem lies. It's hard for people to accept that Jesus is the only way to heaven. You see, they want works, or they want other ways to be saved. Why? That's the easy road. That's the easy road. That's not the narrow road. But Jesus is the way. And Jesus made it very clear that he was going to the Father, and that he was the only way to the Father. Now, heaven is a real place. It's a loving place. It's an exclusive place. Not everybody is going to go to heaven. Only those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. And Jesus doesn't just simply teach the way or point the way. All right? That's what man does. That's what religion does. Man man and religion is their attempt to point you to the way. Jesus is the way. So again, he doesn't just simply teach the way or point the way. He tells you, I am the way. And there is no other way. All right. If you remember uh, reading back in the book of Acts, the way, the word the way, was one of the early names for Christianity. He said, oh, they're of the way. That means they're Christians. They're, they're followers of Jesus Christ. Again, that was the early term for, uh, again, uh, Christianity or, or for the Christian faith. When Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me, this is not a one or the, another part of those, what people say, the uh, Bible's hard to understand. It does not seem too hard to me. No one. That means no one. No tricky deception there. No tricky um, meaning of the words. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. That's exactly what it means. It's not hard to understand. Jesus' words wipes away any other suggested way to heaven. Good works, rituals, ceremonies, financial gifts or other spiritual leaders there's only one way and that way is jesus christ 
In Luke 13, 24, Jesus commanded us to strive to enter this narrow gate. The word strive means to struggle, literally to compete for a prize. Figuratively, it means to contend with an adversary or to endeavor to accomplish something. We get our English word agonize from the term agonizo, which means to strive. In Colossians 4.12, it's translated laboring fervently. So you see, entering the right path, that is the narrow gate, is clearly not easy to do. It takes a lot of effort. Now this, now when I say that, when I say it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of labor and it's not easy to do, this isn't teaching, Jesus is not teaching that works can save us. You have to sincerely want to be saved in order to come to Jesus Christ. If you desire to be saved, if your desire to be saved is small and it's weak, you'll end up in hell. Most of the world shows little concern for spiritual matters and especially when it comes to their soul's eternal needs. And unfortunately, and sad to think about, much of the world is going to end up in hell, in the lake of fire. In Jesus' counsel about these two ways in life, he described the character of each way. And what Jesus is teaching us here, it's a study of the comparison of the two ways, which are totally opposite of each other. The wrong way and the right way are as different as night and day in their nature. Good and evil are always a distinct difference. Now, some try, some try by deceitful ways to make evil good and good evil. But good and evil are very different in nature. And then there in verse 13, he goes on to say, Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. The nature of the wrong way is described as, first of all, it's easy. And coming out of the world into Christianity, we know that walking the broad way was easy. Walking the road to destruction, it was easy. didn't take much. The wrong way is easy because the gate is so wide. There's no restrictions to it. There's no restriction as to who and how many can go through the broad way. Walk the broad way. Anyone and everyone can enter the wrong way in life without any problem. It's an all-inclusive way that's easily accessible to all. The wrong way is also easy to walk because it's broad. It's a broad way. I mean, you could be a staggering drunk and never fall off of that path. It's that wide. You could stay on that path because it's so broad. You can believe all kinds of different philosophies and ideas and never be pushed off of that path. You can live an immoral, decadent life and never stray from this path. Secondly, the nature of this path is deceitful. The word broad, broad is the way, the word broad means spacious. It suggests magnificence in its appearance as well as in size and width. It reminds us it shows us that sin is flashy. Sin is impressive. Sin is attractive and appealing. We see it with Eve in Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw, notice something caught her eye. 
When she saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable. Notice, it touched her emotions, her senses. That's why God says we walk by faith and not by sight, not by our senses, not by our emotions. This broad gate helps to make sin very deceptive when it comes to its catastrophic consequences. Sin appeals to the feelings, to the emotions, to the sight, to our self-esteem to the lust of the flesh, to the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You see, sin likes to be seen as exciting and beneficial to you. That's how it appeals to you. That's how it presents itself to you. Oh, I'm exciting. I'm beneficial. I'm everything you need. Sin advertises itself in the most dishonest ways in order to deceive you. And to mesmerize you and to get you onto the path of sin. You see, the devil knows exactly how to package and how to advertise sin. Third, the character of the wrong way is its popularity. Hey, walking the wrong way is popular. Verse 13 says, Jesus said, what? There are many who go in by it. This is a, prop, a popular road. And this is where you're going to find all the big crowds because this is where it's happening. Hey, don't you remember? You say, I, I, I want to, when we were younger, especially, I want to be where it was happening. I want to be with the cool people. I want to do what the cool people are doing because then they're going to like me. It's a popular road. It's where it's happening. This will be the way that's most recommended to you by the world because it's the widest, it's the broadest, and it's the most popular. And sin enslaves many people because of its popularity. It's a big draw. Everybody's doing it. And people foolishly tend to think because everybody's doing it, hey, it's got to be right. The majority can't be wrong. It must be the thing to do. It's the happening thing. But understand, being popular is no substitute for being godly. But being popular with man... You might be popular man, but it does not necessarily make you popular with God. He said, if you are friends of the world, you're my enemy. Because you see, the things of the world and the things of God, they, they, they can't mesh. They can't live together. So can, you can't use popularity as a trustworthy guide or measure to follow because it can lead you straight into trouble very quickly. Now, verse 14, notice what Jesus says. Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now, in describing the right way to life, Jesus gives two main qualities about the right way in which we should walk. And you know what? Our flesh doesn't like either one of them. The first one is the difficulty of the way. Now, Jesus already said getting on the right path was very hard. But now he says that after you've gotten on the right path, it continues to be hard. It doesn't get any easier from the day you come to Christ to the day you die. It is hard to keep going on the right path once you get on the right path. And now this is seen in the word narrow. Narrow is the gate. The word narrow comes from a word that means to be hemmed in like a mountain gorge, according to Vine's uh, uh, expository dictionary. 
According to Thayer's uh, uh, Greek lexicon, it means pressing together. It means pressure. According to Strong's Concordance, the word narrow means to crowd. So all of these words together, all of these meanings say the right path is a very hard path to get on, and it's a very hard path to stay on. But where do we ever read in the Bible that Jesus said it was an easy way to go? From Genesis to Revelation, you never read that walking that path is an easy walk. It's a difficult walk. Because you see, along that straight and narrow, you have Satan and his minions every so far, and they're there to pull you off of that path with some trinket of the world, some emotional feeling, some, something that you think that, you know, and Satan, well, you know, just, you know, you don't have to, you know, just come this way a little bit. And, you know, come and see what I have to show you. And he's on that road all the time. And he's always trying to lure people off of there to get you to, do, get, to take a detour. So Jesus never did say anyway. Matter of fact, he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have problems. And, and, and in Acts, it says that, you know, through much tribulation, you're going to enter the kingdom of God. So it says very clearly that, you know, as a Christian and walking that straight and narrow, it's going to be tough. Jesus said in verse 14, there are few who find it. But you see, being a Christian that's walking on the right way is a lot better than not being a Christian walking the wrong way. The right way is definitely not popular. And the Bible gives us two different occasions where Jesus gave this particular parable about the two ways that we can go in life. The first one is here in our text. The Bible, like I said, gives us two different occasions first one here in our text the second one was later on is later on when jesus answers the question in luke 13 23 are there few who are saved people ask christ are there few who are saved now the answer to this question is made clear in christ's word about the two ways in life it clearly says that few will be saved and again, as we all know, this truth is not very popular. When it comes to honesty and compassion, it causes a lot of people's feelings to repel and to recoil and to get defensive when you tell them Jesus is the only way. When you tell them there isn't any other way but Christ. They get defensive about what the Bible says. Most people basically think that nobody's going to perish. They basically think nobody's going to hell. All you have to do to go to, go to a funeral of somebody that's not saved. Oh, they're in a much better place now. That's what you always hear. They're in a much better place. But that's, what, that's the, basically what the world thinks. Nobody's going to perish. Even though most of mankind lives totally neglecting God, and it's like thinking that, oh, just one day I'm going to find mercy and I'm going to go to heaven. Jesus said, few are saved. Few are saved. And remember, we talked about the majority a little while ago about, you know, it's being popular. And Hey, the majority of God's people are wrong. Based on, remember, less people entered the promised land than what left Egypt. Joshua and Caleb were the only adult Israelites, the only adult Israelites in the first generation who went into the fullness of God's calling. Only eight people out of millions entered the ark. 
don't trust the majority. Jeremiah 15, verse 16 and 17, showed how unpopular the right path is when he said, Your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, but I sat alone. Jeremiah didn't find a huge crowd sitting with him who were devoted to the word of God. Being unpopular always adds to the hardship of anything that you do. Because it can be very discouraging. It can be very disheartening to be unpopular. Nobody wants to be unpopular. But if you're a Christian and you're walking with God, you're going to be unpopular with the world. And if the world loves you like it loves the, the unsaved, you better check yourself. Better take a, a spiritual inventory. Jesus said, the world hated me, it's going to hate you. The popular church is often, but not always, the popular church is often, but not always, the big church today. The one that has the huge crowds. But this doesn't mean that faithfulness is in their doctrine. The faithful and, the faithful and true church is usually the small and unpopular church. But even if all the true churches were big churches and a lot of people attended them, it would still wouldn't change the fact that few are saved in comparison to the multitudes that are in the world. Bible-believing churches have usually always been the small and the few. Because the, and the world doesn't agree with us. Repentance and faith in Jesus and living holy lives have never been popular. And the true flock of Jesus Christ has always been small. How many times do you read the word remnant in the scriptures? Just a small remnant followed Christ. Just a small remnant, you know, went here and went there. Small remnant. Happiness and entertainment is always more popular than holiness. And if you, if you find little company around you when it comes to your faith in Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean that something is wrong with you. It doesn't mean something is wrong with you or your faith. But instead, it could say what the Bible says about few being, being walking in the right way of life. Now, the idea of a moral majority, which we would love, that, that sounds great, and it's a, it's a great idea. We want the moral majority, but it's a fairy tale. The majority have never been moral. Again, go back to Noah's day. Only eight got on the ark. So this thought contradicts what the Bible says. In Jesus' word about the two ways of life, he tells us how both of these ways end, and that, and that really shows us which way is the best. You see, if we don't look at how our, our, our way is going to end, you're liable to be misled into thinking that the wrong way is the right and the best way. We have to always think about the end of anything. What's the end result going to be? Because that's the most important factor to think about in the two ways that's being taught here by Jesus. You know, don't look at how things start off. Don't look at, the, look at how, how well things might be going at the present time and then make your judgment without looking at how it's all going to end. I mean, a lot of people, you know, think cliff diving into the, into the water is just a very exciting experience. 
But how many have landed in shallow water or rocks below and have been killed? Broken necks, broken back. Hey, the idea of jumping, it's, it's great. Oh, you know, but boom. But if you're not checking out how it's all going to end, it may not end the way you want it to. Very destructive. If you focus on how it's all going to turn out in the end, Again, if you focus on how it's all going to turn out in the end, the experience stops looking good sometimes and exciting because, oh, I found out how this is going to end. It could end in, end in forever destruction. It could be destructive. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to fo focus on the, on the now, the thrill of the moment. The here and the now. He doesn't want us to focus on how it's going to affect us later on at the end of our life and the hereafter. That's how people, you know, end up strung out on drugs and alcohol. You know, the, it, it, it sounds exciting. It looks exciting. Everybody's doing it and all their friends and, and, and they end up getting enslaved by it. Others may not, but again, you don't know how you're going to react to it. We don't consider how it's all going to end up in the end. But understand that the here and the, and the here and the now is temporary. The hereafter, it's eternal. Satan wants us to focus on the world and the things in it. He doesn't want us to focus on heaven, and he has so many clever arguments to get you to focus on the world. But here's the bottom line. If people focus on the world and the things in it and not on heaven... Satan has a great advantage over them. Beware of philosophies that focus on the world and not here and now. Make sure to check out how it's all going to end to make sure that you don't pay a price spiritually that you can't afford to pay. Notice what Jesus said here. At the end of verse 13, he says, it's, a, it's a, a broad is the way that leads to destruction. Jesus said the wrong way, the wrong, wrong, wrong road in life leads to destruction. Now, destruction is the fearful and terrible end of the wrong way. The word destruction here means loss. I'm sure we've all seen those that drive, we've all seen those big red wrong way signs at the end of an off-ramp. It's telling you don't go this way. It's obvious because there will be destruction of life and property if you go the wrong way. That's what Jesus is telling us here. It, 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 this destruction of, of, of property, of life. But it's not the end of existence. When we die, it is not the end of existence. It's the end of comfort in existence. It's not the end of living, but it's the end of enjoyable living. You see, you don't stop existing. You don't stop being, uh, you don't stop existing, but you do stop being well. It's not the loss of being, it's the loss of well-being that what Jesus is talking about here in the meaning of the word destruction. You lose your well-being. And in this destruction that Jesus talks about here, there are three things that are destroyed. First, the loss of your peace. This wrong way does not lead to or end in peace. 
Isaiah 57, 21 says, There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. This destruction of peace is a terrible loss, and especially because it involves more than a temporary loss of peace, it's an eternal loss of peace. And the end result is the final consequence of the wrong way in life. It's the lack of peace forever. The second thing that's destroyed on that wrong path is the loss of your satisfaction. The loss of your satisfaction. The wrong way in life leads to disappointment. And the farther you travel on the wrong way, the wrong path, the less satisfaction you'll find. And at the end, and the result of the long way, of life is total dissatisfaction. Your satisfaction is destroyed forever. Those living according to the flesh are so preoccupied with the cheap trinkets of the world. But even in this life, these people will soon learn how dissatisfying those things are. In eternity, the dissatisfaction is going to be huge. But there's one of the end results. Those are one of the end results of the wrong way in life. Lastly, what's destroyed on that wrong way, that wrong path to life, is that you lose your soul. It's the destruction of your soul. This is the greatest loss of all. The life of sin will destroy your soul, whether it's sin that you, know, that you do out in the open, you don't care who sees, or, or the secret sin that nobody sees. It doesn't matter. The end result is still the same, total destruction. Now, some of you either said it yourself or heard people say it. I know that I did. Well, if I go to hell, I'm going to be with all of my friends. It's going to be one big party. Listen to what Jesus is about hell. He says, there will be outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Darkness like you have never experienced. You won't be able to see your hand in front of your face. So then, you're not going to be able to see your friends if that's what you think. He said, there will be weeping. The word weeping is wailing, howling, like you've never done before. Gnashing of teeth, that's grating your teeth. Can you imagine grinding your teeth for all eternity? Doesn't sound like a fun place to me. Hell is a place that has both darkness and fire. There's no place like it in the world that we live in. Part of the supernatural characteristics of hell is that it will be a place of fire, it will be a place of pain, and it will be a place of, place of torment. And it will continue for all eternity in total darkness. This is the end result of taking the wrong way in life. The loss of your soul. And then he says, because narrow is the way, in verse 14, because, um, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. The word life there in verse 14 comes from the Greek word zoe. We get our English word zoology from it. It's, a, it's used in a spiritual sense in Scripture. And this word speaks of, according to Thayer's Greek lexicon, this word speaks of the absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical, which belongs to God. 
It's used of that life that the Father has in himself that he gave to the incarnate Son to have in himself and that the Son manifested in the world. Only God can give life. Jesus is talking about obtaining divine life that comes through him in salvation that God gave him. Jesus said regarding this life that he was the life. And that he came, John 10, 10 says, that they might have life, eternal life, that they might have it more abundantly. And this life will bring a joy unspeakable. And an eternal life will reward and, and more than compensate. It will outweigh any trials, any troubles and sorrows that anybody had to go through uh, in, in enduring the narrow gate and staying on that narrow way in order to have this life. It'll more than reward and compensate for the struggles that we went through on that narrow path. And the rewards that God gives us for, for holy living far exceed any affliction that we experience in living holy lives here in Christ. Paul talked about these afflictions when he said, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Our temporary problems that we experience from walking on that right path of life turn into eternal blessings at the end of this right way. This life is eternal, eternal life. Jesus is talking about everlasting life here. And this life continues forever. And that's a long time. There's no end to it. The ecstasy, the joy, the blessing of this heavenly life will have no end to it. Just as loss at the end of the wrong way in life is forever. So life at the end of the right way of life is forever. The world has nothing to offer like this. The world has nothing that even comes close to compare to this eternal life. All that the world has to offer is the wrong way of life. In closing, these are the two ways in life. Plain and simple, the way to heaven and the way to hell. The broad way is the easy way. It's the fun way. It's the popular way. The way of life is narrow. It's lonely. It's costly. We can walk on the broad way and carry all of our nasty burdens of sin and, and worldliness with us. But if we enter the narrow way, we have to give those things up. So here's the first test. Did your profession of faith cost you anything? If not, it wasn't a true profession of faith. Because Paul made it very, very clear. You become a new creature in Christ. The old life, it's gone. And you begin a new life. That's the cost. But it's much better than the old life. Many people who trust in Jesus Christ never leave the broad road. They never put away the appetites and the old associations of the world. They have an easy Christianity that doesn't make any demands on them. And yet Jesus said, the narrow way is hard. You cannot walk in two ways. 
You cannot walk in two different directions at the same time. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful word, Lord. And God, help us to seek that narrow path, Lord, and to stay upon that narrow path, Lord, no matter how difficult it may become, Lord. Nowhere does the word tell us it's going to be an easy walk, an easy life. It tells us it's going to be a a, a rewarding life, though, an eternal life with God, with our Savior, in complete satisfaction. Father, I pray that, God, we would just hear what Christ has to say here. God, that we would take it more serious than ever. Did our profession of faith cost us anything? Have we given up the ways of the world? Have we given up sin? The practice of sin? The worship team is going to lead us in a song of worship right now. And if you recognize it, you are walking on that path of destruction. Path of destruction. And you recognize your need to get on the right path, to walk in the right way. This time is for you. The worship team, as they lead us in this song, during that time, you get up out of your seat, you make your way down the aisles towards the steps up front, and I'll meet you there. And when the song is over, we'll pray together a prayer of faith.